Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Hey church, I got a question. How many of you here today would like to live the way Jesus lived? You're like, what? Wait, are you talking like how many, do I want to live like back then when he, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Listen, listen, how many of you would like to live the way Jesus lived when he was on the earth? Yes, I am talking to you. Living your life, check it out, the same exact manner that our Lord and Savior Jesus did. I mean, think about it, right? The same John who wrote John 17, he actually writes this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 5. When he tells this to us, he says, he says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. So I want to keep his word. Amen. By this, we know that we are in him by keeping his word. And then he goes on to say this. Check it out. He who, uh, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And John's saying to you and I, a better translation might be this, those who say they live in God should live their lives, dun, 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 as Jesus did. And then I look at my life and I go, man, is my life like really reflective of who Jesus is? I mean, did, I mean, I mean, seriously, what John is saying is that each of us who are devoted followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, guys, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we should walk, listen to me, the way he walked on earth, the way he lived, his mannerisms, what he taught, who he was. That's what John is saying. So once again, here's the question I pose to you. You ready? Listen, how would you like to walk just as Jesus walked? You're like, wow, I I think I'd I'd like to live like Jesus. Let me tell you a story. (coughs) Excuse me. There was a pastor by the name of Jeremiah Stepek. And Jeremiah Stepek did something that we've often heard about. What he did is he transformed himself to a homeless person. You see, he was about to be announced the pastor of a 10,000-member church. And so what he said, he says, I want to get a feel for the church. I want to see if they live like Jesus. And so he transformed himself to a homeless person. So he got to the church about 30 minutes before, as it was filling up with service. He says three people out of seven to 10,000 people actually said hello to him. So you can imagine the scene. There he is, homeless, scruffy beard. There he was. Nobody knows who he is. Three out of 10,000 who walked toward the door said hello. Three, he says, he asked for people, do you have some change? Do you have some change for, for some food? No one in the church, no one in the church gave him some change. He went into the church. He sat down in the sanctuary and he actually came to the front row where Brother Kevin is. And the ushers came to him and asked him if he could please sit in the back. As he got up and he went to the back, he was It was time for greeting, and he was greeted with stares and dirty looks and people looking down on him and judging him. As he sat in the back of the church, he listened to the church announcements and the worship. 
And when it was all done, the elders got up and they were all excited to introduce their new pastor to the congregation. Everybody was clapping and they said, we would like to introduce you to Pastor Jerem, Jeremiah Stepek. And the congregation looked around and clapped with joy and anticipation. The homeless man got up from the back of the church and began to walk down the aisle. People stopped clapping at that moment as they were perplexed and they saw what's going on. And they all stopped and all eyes got on him. And he came and he took the microphone from the elders who were obviously in on it. And he paused for a moment. And then he said, as he looked towards the congregation, he told them what he had experienced that morning. How only three people said hello to him. How nobody gave him change. How the ushers said, no, no, you can't sit here. You need to sit back here. Many people in the congregation began to cry. Many people, I mean, think about it, guys, 10,000 people, many put their heads down in shame. And then he said, today I see a gathering of people, not a church of Jesus Christ. He said this, the world has enough people, but not enough disciples. When will you decide to become disciples. When will you, he looks at his church and he says, will you start to live the way Jesus lived? And then he dismissed the service until next week. He goes on to say, being a Christian is more than something you claim. It's not that we buy a t-shirt or we have the hat or we have the bumper sticker on our car. It's more than what we claim. I am a Christian. He says, being a Christian is something you live by and share with others. Now, I tell you this story of Pastor Jeremiah because it really illustrates to us that most people don't live like Jesus. They don't live like Jesus. And if we are really going to follow Jesus, then I think we need to take a step back. We need to learn from the story. We need to look deep in our hearts, and we need to say, man, does my life mirror the, 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 the life of my Savior? Does my life look like Jesus? You go, Pastor, oh, that's, that's, an incredible, that's an incredible task. Well, today, guys, I want to talk to you just a little bit, if you don't mind, about living a life the way Jesus lived, to walk just like he walked. Now, I need to give you a disclaimer. And you say, what, Pastor? Now, when I say walk like Jesus, okay, I'm not talking that you're walking on water, okay? I'm not saying that you're going to your local, I'm going to live like Jesus. You know, you go to your local pool and you try to walk on water. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you doing miracles and turning water into wine. And you sit there and, and I'm not talking you raised people to life. I get that. Those were all miracles that Jesus did. But what I'm talking about living like Jesus, now let it soak into your hearts, guys. What I'm talking about is, is learning what Jesus prayed, listen to me, only hours before his death, and I'm saying, let's put them into practice in our lives. Let's not just write them down in our Bibles and have them and say, hallelujah, amen, but actually apply them. This is what I want to do. This is, this is what we're talking about. Church, listen. If you and I were to jot down these nine expressions, nine statements I see, in the prayer of Jesus here in John chapter 17, as he prays to the Father, I believe, you ready? I believe that you will walk the way Jesus walked when he was on the earth. I believe it will apply. And there's probably more, but I'm only going to give you nine this morning. I believe that you might, 
be mistaken for Jesus from time to time. You're like, what? Yeah, you might be walking through the mall during Christmas season and say, hey, it's Jesus. You go, Pastor, you're silly. Okay, well, how about this? How about if we applied the word of God in our lives, okay, that we would live a more godly life in the days and weeks and months to come? Want to live like Jesus. Now, remember where we left off last week, okay? We left the disciples, the winds of change, if you will, were, were blowing in the lives of disciples. As they walked from the upper room over the Kidron Valley through the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has been teaching them about what was next for them. Remember, this is what's going to happen next because they're perplexed. They're scared. They're worried. They don't know what's going on. And Jesus says, I'm going away. You're not going to see me. Then you'll see me. And then I go to the Father. So they're tripping. They're, they're anxious. They're scared. They don't know what's going on. Jesus looks at him. He says, it's to your advantage I go away. And if I'm a disciple, I'm going, what do you mean it's to my advantage? No, Jesus, I want you here. I want you here. Don't you understand? We can do so much good here. Jesus says, now it's your advantage. I go away. Well, why would it be to my advantage? He says, because I'm going to send you. Who am I going to send you? I'm going to send you the helper, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. Why? Because what does he do? Well, if you take that word, first and foremost, we see that he is a comforter. He's going to comfort me in times that I need comfort. He also is going to guide me in my life. When I go to him in prayer, I say, God, show me your way. I don't want to make decisions based on me. I don't want to make decisions based on the flesh. I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? How about this? How about it's to my advantage? Because not only that, not only is he going to comfort me, he's going to guide me, he's going to exhort me. But here's another thing, encouragement. Listen to me, guys. If you will take a moment to see that the Holy Spirit is encouraging us, we too need to encourage people in a very, very troublesome world today. Now, guys, and especially in December, people are broken. People are, are, they don't want to go through the holidays alone. They're depressed and they're shattered. All their lives, they may have grown up with a great Christmas, and now they find themselves alone for some reason. And we need to be the ones to encourage them, just like the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about it. This is, this is a critical time. And every year, Thanksgiving and Christmas comes, and we follow the same thing. But let's be careful, guys, that we don't turn a deaf ear or blind eye to what's going on in our world. But that we can also be the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus tells his disciples as he looks at him, he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. You're not going to be alone. He says, I will be with you. I'm going to be all of you. I'm going to be through you, all of you. And see, the disciples right now are tripping. You go, why? Because they can feel the winds of change begin to blow. Something's different was about, was with this night. Something is so different. The disciples fail to understand at this moment as Jesus is explaining these things that his death was going to provide eternal freedom. His death, burial, and resurrection was going to provide something that they needed more than what they wanted. Are you guys hearing me? You see, because there comes a time in our life where we're sitting there and God is not going to give us the change we want. He's going to give us the change we need. And that's exactly, I'm sure Peter, I'm sure John, I'm sure James were going to hold on to the feet of Jesus, but they didn't understand that they needed to let go of what they wanted so that they could receive what God ultimately had for them, eternal freedom. It's the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. And of course, this section, chapter 16, finishes, finishes the upper room teaching, the discourse, and it deals primarily with the emotions of the disciples. And here's what I love. I'm so encouraged by them. 
I don't know about you, but I'm so encouraged by this. Why? Because think about it. What's going on right now? The disciples, the disciples. These are dudes that hung out with Jesus 24-7 for three years. These guys, they're confused. If I was walking with the disciples, I'd probably be the guy in the back going, what is he saying? Are you serious? I, was, I don't want him to go. I'm confused. What is he? Or, and they're also scared. They're scared. Why? Because he's talked about death. He's talked about, listen, being a disciple, could, you could be mortared for your faith. I don't know about this. So they're confused and they're scared. These are disciples. Okay? They're, they're, you go, what else? Well, they're worried. They're anxious. And you go, well, why does that encourage you? Because I'm the same thing. There are times when I get confused about what God's doing in my life. There are times I get, I get worried about what tomorrow brings. There are times in my life when I'm scared. I just don't know what to do. And, and, and I'll look to the disciples and I'll think, man, these guys, were, these guys were disciples. They were super spiritual. No, no, no. They were ordinary guys that God used. And that's what encourages me. That even when I go through those times in my life when I'm scared and I'm frightened and I'm confused and I'm anxious and I'm worried, God, because I can still use you. I could still use you, Kai, because he does something so amazing. He takes ordinary people. This should be an amen right there. He takes ordinary people and he uses them in extraordinary ways. We we see the world differently, don't we, church? We look at the elites and go, oh, well, he would never use me. He'd probably use somebody like this, like this, like this. He uses us. And the world goes, why would you use him? Why would you use her? I don't get it. They're nobody. That's exactly what he does. And I'm encouraged that he would take somebody and use us and use this. You go, Ben, what should I do? What should I do? Well, let me just say this. You ready? No matter what life throws at you, keep moving forward. Keep moving forward. Alan said on Wednesday night, your story is not over yet. God is still writing your story. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Don't give up. Don't give up. So that's what's happening. The disciples are stressed, they're coming across, and, and when Jesus he finishes his teaching, and again, this is the last teaching he's ever going to do. And so in chapter 17, guess what? We know that he's finished, and then Jesus does something that blows our mind. You go, what does he do? He turns his attention towards heaven, and he prays. What does he pray? Well, it's the, it's the real Lord's Prayer. You go, wait a minute, Ben. I grew up knowing that the Lord's Prayer was the Our Father, found in Luke chapter 11. It's called the Lord's Prayer, right? Well, they call it the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's more like the disciples' prayer. This here, guys, is the real Lord's Prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer, right? So let me explain. If you're taking note, guys, if you're taking notes, This is the longest prayer recorded in the New Testament. Now, you say, why is it the Lord's Prayer? Well, when you think of the Our Father, Our Father in art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And for what? Forgive us. Well, Jesus was sinless, so he wouldn't pray that prayer. That would be more for the disciples. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. No, no, no. That was more for us. This is the longest recorded prayer in the New Testament, this is the Lord's Prayer. Now, I say recorded because I am sure that my Jesus prayed longer times throughout his life. They just weren't recorded. Would you agree? You go, yeah, of course. There are probably times he prayed all night. We know he prayed all night when he was picking the disciples. Okay, so this is the recorded prayer. So what can we learn from this? Well, this is great intercessory prayer 
okay, this is great. We can see what he does, as well as, now listen to me, and you got to jot this down, great application for us to live like Jesus. That's the point. I want to live like Jesus. Now, let me just break this down. Let me break down chapter 26. If you're taking note in verses 1 through 5, we see that Jesus prays for himself. What? You mean Jesus prayed for himself? Absolutely. And I think a lot of times we go into our prayer closets, wherever that might be, and we go, I can't pray for me. That's selfish. No, no, no. Jesus knew he prayed for himself, but I think it's important that we pray for ourselves first. And oftentimes in my life, maybe it is in yours, I pray and get clean before I can pray for others. Lord, forgive me. I've had a bad attitude. Lord, forgive me. I've really stunk it up this week. Lord, forgive me. And I start moving. And once I'm clean, then I can think of others that I need to pray for. That's what Jesus does. Jesus prays for himself. He gives me great permission to pray for myself first. Then in verses 6 through 19, Jesus turns to the Father in the same attitude of prayer, and he prays for his disciples. He's going to pray for them. He's going to say, man, I just want to lift them up to you. These are my guys. He prays for his disciples. And then in chapter um, 17, verse 20 through 26, one of my favorite my passages, Jesus prays for you and me. You go, we're in the Bible? We're in the Bible. Jesus is actually going to pray for us and continue to pray for us. And I love that. And I love that. So point number one, guys, you'll see it. We're going to look at it. He's going to pray for himself. Point number two, he's going to pray for the disciples. And then we'll close out the Bible study with what? He's going to pray for us. He's going to pray for us. You go, okay, I got the prayer. I got the prayer. Okay. But within verses 1 through 26, guys, I want to show you nine expressions or nine statements that Jesus makes that if we'll apply them to our lives, guys, if we'll apply them, it will help us to walk like Jesus walked. If we'll just apply them. We're going we're gonna to get going and move pretty fast through these verses, okay? But then we'll slow down as we apply each of the statements. You guys ready? Picking it up in verse one, point number one, Jesus prays for himself. Notice verse one, Jesus spoke these words, the Bible says lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, let's stop right there. Notice the, notice the posture of prayer. Jesus, I mean, we're always taught, okay, bow your heads, close your eyes, fold your hands. And that's how we're taught to pray, Lord Jesus. But Jesus, he lifts up his head, his eyes towards heaven, probably lifts up his hand. This was a great Jewish prayer position. And he prays out loud. I love it. He prays out loud. Okay. And so that's what he does. This is the posture. And so the guys are around him. He's not, he's not hidden somewhere else. He's out loud. The guys are like, oh, he's praying. And we know that John records it. What does he say? Here's the first thing he prays. Notice, he, he lifts his eyes to heaven and says, quote, here's the prayer. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. So we just notice that Jesus turns his head towards heaven and begins to pray. Now, keep this in mind, okay? You need to jot this down. This will help you as you study the scripture. There are two Jewish prayers, main Jewish prayers, that every little Jewish boy needed to learn. The first one is called the Shema, okay? If you want to jot this down, it's S-H-E-M-A. This is the Shema, okay? This is what they needed to learn. This is found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one... Okay, 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the Shema. This is one every little uh, Jewish male and female would learn. It's the Shema. But they also, the second one, guys, um, the second one is known as the Amidah. The Amidah. A-M-I-D-A-H. The Amidah. You go, what's that? There are about 18 prayers. Okay. And what they would do is they would just, it would go, it would move from praise. It would start off praising God. It would move to petition, to thanksgiving. Every one of them would do the Amidah. They would do that twice a day. So they knew the Shema and they knew the Amidah. Now, for the sake of our study, I can't really pull it out, but I'm going to give you some homework. Just look at it as you go through. Think of, think of the, again, the praise and then the petition as God begins to pray for his disciples and then... He's going to end with thanksgiving. So you have the Shema, you have the Amidah, okay? Jesus says in his prayer, notice, the hour has come. What's he mean? You guys, listen, here's what I want you to see. Jesus says, it's time. It's time. Oftentimes throughout scripture, Jesus would say, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. Now he's going, it's time. What is it time for? Jesus knows in a few short hours, literally short hours, he's going to go die on the cross. So he knows, he understands of his impending death. He gets it. And so he says, the hour has come. The hour has come. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do knowing that he's going to die in just a few short hours? Well, Ben, the Bible says he prays. He prays. I thought, wow. Here's my thought to you and me. Okay, here's my thought. Here's a quick note. Let me ask you this. What would you say, what would you say if you knew you only had hours to live? What would your prayer be like? What would you say? Who would you say it to? You see, we got to think this way. Well, if you knew you have four hours to live, what would, what would come out of your heart? Jesus prays. He prays for himself, five, five verses. He spends the majority praying for others. He prays majority. Think about that. Feel the weight of that. If you knew you were going to die, let's just say at 3 p.m. today, what would you say? And who would you say it to? You go, well, Ben, Ben, I would tell people I love them. I would tell people I love them. I would tell people I love them. Here's just a side note, okay? Lord, I think this is from you. Here's just a side note. The other night I was watching a movie about about 9-11 when, when the planes went into the towers. and But the one, Flight 93, that didn't make it to a tower, but that the people rushed them, and you guys know what I'm talking about, it ended up going and, and, and crashing on the ground. They showed a scene in there that really spoke to my heart. You go, what's that? They showed a scene when they knew that they were about to die. Everybody was on a phone calling their loved ones. And what was, their, what was the message? They kept saying, I tell them I love them. Tell my mom and dad I love them. Tell my family I love them. They're hurt. They're broken. They know there's a slim chance they could survive, but more than likely they're going to die. And you go, okay, well, what's the point? Here's the point. I said, if you ever question God's existence, look at people. What were their last words? They were telling people that they loved him. Where does love come from? It only comes from God. Listen, if there was no God and you were about to die, you would be like, okay. But every one of them was saying, tell my sister I loved him. Tell my kids I love them. 
because God is real and he instills that love in us. And so Jesus is about to die and he's saying the same thing. He's saying, I want my guys to know that I love them. And so he prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for others. Look at verse 2. He says, if you have given him, speaking authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life as to many as you have given him. Thank you, Lord. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Guys, if you're taking note, can I give you the first statement, the first expression? You go, what do you mean? Look what he says. Jesus looks up to heaven. He says, I have glorified you on the earth. Do you guys see that? You ready? Write that down. Why? Because if you want to live like Jesus lived, if you want to make an impact at your job, in your family, around the world, our goal, listen to me, is not self-glorification. Our goal is not self-glorification. Our goal is to glorify Jesus in everything. How do you assess that? Look at your life. If everything that comes out of your mouth is I this and I do and I this and look at me and I this and I know, it's, it's, that's not what he's saying. Jesus didn't go, hey, I did that. I walked on water. I turned water into water. He says, I've glorified. I've glorified you on the earth. And if we want to live like Jesus, guys, here's the goal. Glorify Jesus in your everyday life. And everything you do, stop and ask, is this going to glorify you, Lord? Is this going to glorify you? Well, Ben, I got a question. Give me two practicals that I can take home. How can I glorify God? Well, that's, that's amazing. Here it is. Number one, number one, if you want to glorify God, let me give you this. It is be a, be a blessing to the Lord. Well, what do you mean by that, Ben? Do things just for him to make him happy. You know how you do things for your wife or your husband just to make them happy because you love them? When was the last time we actually did something for God? You see, here's the thing. When we come to worship, that's amazing. But there are times when we worship that we're going, okay, that's me. God, I need to worship you. But we forget that we're blessing him in worship. We forget, oh, Lord, I'm here to bless you. I want to sing to you. There is nobody else I should sing to but you. And that's the whole point. The whole, when was the last time it was just you and him and you blessed him? Now, that's a blessing. That's glorifying God. You go, well, what else? Well, how about number two? How about praising the Lord? Praising the Lord. You go, well, Ben, I praise the Lord all the time. Somebody gives me a sandwich, I say, praise the Lord. But, but here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. Why don't we do this? You ready? Here's the experience. List all the things that God has done just for you. List them down. And tell him you realize it and you don't take it for granted. You see, that's when was the last time we stood in the shower and said, praise the Lord, we have hot water. How about praise the Lord, we have water. How about praise the Lord, we've got food, we've got a refrigerator. We've got... See, guys, a lot of times we take all of this for granted because it's the American dream, but it's a blessing from God. You know, one thing I did last night that I never told myself to do that I know is a blessing from God? You go, what's that? I didn't tell my heart to beat, not once. And it, it, it was a blessing because God let my heart beat. Do you take oxygen for granted? It's always here. We always, 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. See, that's, that's glorifying to God, guys. That's glorifying to God, and that's the one thing we want to do. I see Jesus saying right off the bat, I want to live like Jesus. I want to glorify you on earth. I want to glorify you on earth. Everything I do, I want to glorify you. I want to glorify you. Guys, you know this, and social media. Social media seems to be a platform for anybody to speak anything they want, but before you say any comment on any situation, ask yourself, is this going to bring glory to God, or am I going to cause a a rift between me and a brother? Glorify the Lord. Number two, number two, the second expression of the statement, Jesus says, I have finished the work which you gave me to do. If we want to live like Jesus, we're going to glorify God. But the second thing is we need to finish the race. First and foremost, you need to run your race. You need to run your race. You go, why do you say that? Because a lot of times, guys, we don't finish well. We don't finish well because we, we don't understand that God has given each one a specific work. We all have our own. We're all trying to run in somebody else's lane. Run your lane. Run your mile. Finish the work that God is. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, listen, I finished the work you gave me. Now, remember, he hasn't gone to the cross yet, so it's somewhat prophetic. He's going to go to the cross and finish it. But for us, guys, I think, man, all the while you're finishing the work, glorify the God. Why? So many people, they start real well, but they end up not finishing. You go, give me an example. Well, jot this down. His name is Charles Templeton. Charles Templeton grew up the same time Billy Graham grew up. And did you know Charles Templeton from Canada was actually a better speaker than Billy Graham? He commanded more people in the church than Billy did. People thought, man, he is way better than Billy Graham. Until one day, the devil caught Charles Templeton in a doubt and created confusion. And Charles Templeton got in front of his 6,000-member church back in the 60s and said, I'm an agnostic. I don't know if I believe in God. He didn't finish well. He ended up dying in a hospital bed, a very lonely death. What's my exhortation to you? Guys, listen, if you want to live like Jesus, finish the work that God has given you. Finish the work that God has given to you specifically. Specifically. Jesus says, as he finishes prayers for himself, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself. The glory which I had with you before the world was, right? So Jesus, once again, what's he saying? He's claiming he's God right here. God, bring back the glory that we used to have before we even created the world. Gives us some great insight into what God was doing before he created the world. They had wonderful fellowship. Who? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amazing. I'm looking forward to going, how did that even work? How did that even work? Point number two, as we move on. Now Jesus prays for his disciples, verses 6 through 19. Verse 6 says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. I've manifested your name. They were yours. You gave them to me. They have kept your word. Now they have known all things which you have given me are from you. Let me give you the third expression, the third statement. You ready? Jesus looks to heaven in prayer and he says, I have manifested your name to the men you have given me. What does manifest mean? 
Manifest means to cause something to be fully known by revealing clearly and in some detail, to make known, to make plain, to reveal, to bring to the light. If you want to live like Jesus lived, if you want to look at the world differently, here's our exhortation. Make known the name of Jesus to the world. Make it plain by how you live. That's the word, manifest. Manifest means reveal the name clearly in your life. First and foremost, to your family. To your family. We need to live, you ready? A no compromised walk with God to our family. We don't compromise. We love Jesus. And then we live, we manifest his name to our coworkers, to our friends. Our friends should know, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, 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 that girl is on fire. Little least little keys there. That girl is on fire. I mean, think about it for Jesus, right? That guy is on fire. Wow, we don't, yeah, that, no, that, that, they love God. They're not plain Christians. They love God. And, and I think to our coworkers, and I, and I think, think about it. Think about to all those in our circle. Manifest, do the people in your circle know that you love Jesus more than anything? Do they? Have you manifested that? Have you manifested that? As a matter of fact, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 22, verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. I will praise you. You go, Pastor, what should I do? If you want to live like Jesus, guys, it it needs to be a publicly visible and plain. That's what it needs to be. There is no question left when something is manifested. There's no question. We all manifest what we really believe by how we live and how we behave. You spend any amount of time with somebody, you can tell what they, be, what they believe by how they behave. Back in our prayers, Jesus looks to heaven out loud. He says, for I have given them your words, which you have given me, and they received them, and they have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. And I am glorified in them, speaking of the disciples. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name, those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Let me give you the fourth expression I see right here. What does Jesus say? He looks to heaven. He says, I have given them your words, which you have given me, your words. If you have a pencil handy, circle that word for words. You go, why? Because oftentimes we think word is logos, the word of God. Here, it's the actual Greek word called rhema, rhema. And rhema is the spoken word. You go, what does it mean? It is a specific word of knowledge. It's a specific word of knowledge. To live and walk like Jesus means specific words of encouragement to those who really need them. Why? When someone's hurting, you don't go, hey, just read the word of God. You should be okay. No, God is going to give you a rhema, a specific word for them, a word of encouragement, a word that uplifts them, a word that helps them, guys, that a spoken word of grace and mercy 
to those who are broken. This is it. He's going to give you. You've got to be in tune with God's Holy Spirit. You've got to be walking like him. And somebody comes to you in your circle and says, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, then you can say, okay, God, what do I need to give them? A very specific spoken word, grace and mercy. Well, what should I do? What should it be? Well, again, I mean, again, think about this. It could be a word of encouragement. It could be a word of exhortation. It could even be a word of loving rebuke. You go, what do you mean? Well, let me give you an idea. A specific uh, example would be John chapter 4, the woman at the well. The woman comes out, speaks to Jesus. Jesus gives us the rhema word, a very specific word to her. You go, what was that? Remember when he said, go call your husband. She goes, I don't have a husband. He said, you spoke right. You don't have a husband. And so again, he says, and she's like, wow, how did you know this? It was a very specific word. We want to live like Jesus, guys, be in tune with God's Holy Spirit so that we can speak life into other people and not death. And not death. You go, well, Ben, I thought rebuke is, rebuke is pretty harsh. Rebuke is wonderful when it comes lovingly. Brother, you need to stop doing that because you're going to do this. I mean, it's when you lovingly come and speak to someone a very specific that happens a lot of times. It happened a lot of times when we would do um, when we do men's retreats. God would use very specific, and and somebody would stand up and say, "There's somebody here who's struggling with pornography," and you and they would give very detailed information, and and the person had no choice. It seemed like, but to go, it was it's me, it's me, and God would just restore that and have brothers come alongside it. That's that's the rhema word. That's the rhema word. The fifth expression or statement, notice what Jesus says. It's actually found in verse 9. Jesus says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. Do you guys see that? Which blew my mind. You wait, 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 time out. Jesus isn't praying for the world? Now, I heard, a, I heard a teaching about a year ago. One of the pastors on the radio came out and said, See, I told you Jesus doesn't pray for the world. You don't need to be praying for the world. You... Here's what he means specifically, okay? He's not talking about unbelievers, and he's not talking about, about not praying for those in your, in your circle that, that you want to see come to Jesus. The world actually means the system, the system that's estranged to God. He's saying, I'm, I'm not praying for, for, for the world to change. I know it's not going to change. But what I'm praying for, notice, He says, I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. You go, okay, help me, help me. Guys, if we want to live and we want to desire to walk like Jesus, if you want people to mistake you for Jesus, then here's what you need to do. You need to be praying for your fellow believer. You need to be praying for people. You need to be praying for those that are believers. You go, well, what should I pray? Would you pray for for strength for them? Because they're facing the same things you're facing. They're facing different set of circumstances. They're, they're facing different spiritual warfare than you. Pray for your fellow believers. Guys, look at your prayer life and be, you know, sometimes we pray like, yeah, bless them. Amen. Amen. God bless. Amen. Yeah, pray for you, sister. Amen. Pray for strength. Pray for passion for God's word. God, give her a passion. God, give them a passion. And some unction. I know, I know that she has to stand up in her job and she has to declare you, God, give her unction for your word. Give her unction. Are we praying for each other, guys? Are we really praying that God would continue to bless and bless? See, our problem is, if I can speak honestly in church, our problem is we grew up in a world of competition, in a world of jealousy. 
And so we look at somebody and go, well, I don't know why God's blessing them. I don't know why they're doing We're not praying for believers. I don't know why God's doing this in this church. Listen, we should be praying for them. We're all on the same team. Jesus said, I'm praying for them, Lord. I'm praying for them. They're going about to go some, some pretty hard stuff. They're about to, they're about to be some, they're gonna, they're, some of them are going to be killed. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world. Guys, we're not going to change the world. How do we change the world? We change the world by, by unbelievers coming believers. You want to change your family? Make sure everybody in your family is following Jesus. You want to change your neighborhood? Everybody in your neighborhood should be following Jesus. You want to change the world? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Verse 12, while I was with them, he said, in the world, I kept them in your name. Those who you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except who? The son of perdition. Who is he talking about? Judas. He says, I've, I kept every one of them. I've got them. He says, the only one that was lost was Judas, son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that you may have your joy fulfilled in themselves. Verse 14, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Do you guys see that? Jesus is praying for his disciples. He says, don't take them out of the world. The world's going to hate him. He says, keep them from the evil one. Keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world. Guys, we're not of the world. We're in the world. We're not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit. Let me give you the sixth expression. Jot this down. I'm going to change it around a little bit. The Lord has us in his hand. What does Jesus say? He says, I have kept them. I have kept them. In order to live like Jesus, guys, here's what I want you to do. You must rest in the fact that the Lord has us safely in his hands. Rest. If you are a believer, are you confident today that Jesus has you in the palm of his hands, safe and secure? Listen, in order for you and I to do his work, we cannot be worried about our own salvation. We can't be worried about that because Jesus says, listen, I have kept them and I have continued to keep them. If you're here today, I would suggest do a heart check. Lord, where am I with you? Am I really saved? Am I really, do I really have eternal life? And if the, if the answer is an abounding yes, then go about his business. Rest in that. He's got you. Nobody's going to pluck you out. Nobody's going to go, hey, he's, he's safe. And he says, God, he said, hey, I've kept them. You've kept them. They're safe. They're safe. I want to live that way. I want to live without going, oh, goodness. Listen, here's the biggest thing. When you mess up, anybody mess up in here? Anybody make mistakes? When you mess up, the devil is quick to go, look at you. You're not even a Christian. No, no, no. I'm safe and secure. You know what I tell the devil? Well, that's what the cross was for. I made a mistake, but Jesus paid for that. And, and I'm going to keep moving forward. I'm going to keep moving forward. I have to keep moving forward because I'm secure in that. I'm secure. Well, you're not going to go to heaven. Oh, yes, I am. Well, you didn't do everything right. That's exactly why I'm going to heaven because Jesus died for those that didn't do everything right. 
And you feel that? Because if I did everything right, then I don't need Jesus. Let me give you the seventh expression. Jesus says, I have given them your word. Well, Ben, I thought you said he'd given them your words. No, no, no. This is not Rhema. This is actually Logos. Jesus looks to his father and he says, I gave the disciples your Logos, the written word of God. Jesus taught them the word of God. You go, wow. Guys, listen to me. If you want to live like Jesus, we must not give people our word, our opinion, but we must give them the written word of God from Genesis to Revelation. People will come to you, especially in this season, and say, I'm hurting, I'm broken, what should I do? Well, let me tell you what I did. Are you giving them worldly advice? Or are you giving, Jesus said, no, 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 listen, I gave them your word. When the disciples came to me distressed and and freaked out, what did he go? Well, let me get, he said, here's the word of God. Here's the word of God. Listen, when your family members and your coworkers and your friends are struggling this Christmas season and throughout the year, and they come to you, you should only give them the word of God. That's what brings life. You can say, I don't know, but let me give you the word of God. Let me give you the word of God. And here's what I would do too. I would say, listen, it's so powerful. Read this and tell me what you think. And then we'll talk about it. Read it. And as they read it, the Holy Spirit can minister to them things that need to be taken care of. You go, wow, okay, okay. I'm with you. I'm with you. Guys, can I encourage you with this? Or exhort you to do this. Guys, can, let's be careful not to use the word, the logos, as a band-aid. A simple band Hey, I'm hurting. Well, praise God. Take every thought captive. Amen. Or, hey, we don't have any food for Christmas. Well, be warm and be fed, brother. God bless you. We, we got to be so careful that we don't take the word of God and use it as a band-aid but that we use it, what was it intended for? What did it intend for the disciples? Jesus said, I gave them your word. I want them to grow. I need them to have a foundation. Well, how do we do that? Discipleship. Discipleship. Where you take that one person and said, listen, be warm and be fed. Let me take you to the grocery store. Let me help you. And let me walk with you after this. What is discipleship? Guys, it's growing in God's word so that you can Give them the word. When they come to you, go, listen, here's what, I've, here's what I've learned. And you can show them in the word of God. That's what Jesus is doing. I want to live like Jesus. I'm going to give them the word. Do you, let, let me ask you a question. Do you want someone's opinion or do you want the word of God? The word of God. I want the word of God. When you're at your wit's end, when the bills are piling up and all this, do you want somebody's opinion or do you want the word of God? Say, give them the word of God. I want to live like Jesus. I want to give them the word. I need, but here's the thing, guys. In order to give somebody the word, the logos, we need to know the word. We need to know the word. We go, okay. And even if you don't know, I don't know, but I'll find out. Let me find out. Let me find out. Let me find out. That was number seven. Guys, give them the word. Number eight, he says, he says I also sent them into the world. I sent them. We are sent out into the world to proclaim the gospel. If you want to continue to live like Jesus, to walk like Jesus, here's what we do. We must go. 
we have to go. No more Christian holy huddle, kumbaya, go out into the world. That's what he's saying. As a matter of fact, Matthew's gospel, he says what? Go therefore and make disciples, right, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? You want to live with God? Guys, we have to go. What does that that mean? What does that mean, go? It means go and share the good news. He says, I sent them out into the world. I sent them out into the world. Mommies and daddies, that's the hardest thing to do, to send your kids out into the world. Your job is to live like Jesus every single day and equip them so that they're able to go. That they're able to go. Is the world pretty? Are they going to learn some ugly stuff? But I want to equip them to go. Because that's what they're called to do. Jesus said, I sent them into the world. But Jesus didn't send them into the world right away, right? He didn't gather his disciples and say, Kevin, you've been, how long have you been with me? Oh, yeah, six weeks? Go, Kevin. He spent three years pouring into them the word of God so that when he said go, they were ready to go. They were ready to go. They were ready to go. Third point, Jesus now prays for us. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not pray for those alone but also for those who will believe. That's you. If you're here and you believe in Jesus, he's praying for you right here. He says, I pray for those who believe in me through their word. That all may be as one. That all may be one as you, the Father, are in me and I in you. That may also be one in us. What's, what's he praying for us for? You guys see it? A gospel community, that we would be one with each other as we're one with God. That we'd have that same spirit of love, that we would not, that we would not be jealous of one another in the ministries that God has given us, but that we would be we would be one and we would be encouraging each other to reach the gospel. We miss it sometimes. And he says, And the glory which you gave me I've given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me and that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me, and you have loved them as as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, and that may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me for the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I know you, and these have known you that you sent me, Verse 26, I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it that the love which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Let me give you the ninth expression, the last one. You know, Ben, there's probably more. There probably is, but I found nine right now. Let me give you this. Jesus says, I have declared to them your name, your name. Declared here is a little bit different than manifest. It means to cause information to be known by someone to make known. It's a little stronger word than manifest. We manifest his name by how we live. Can I get an amen? We declare his name by the speaking of this truth, by speaking and teaching. That's what he says. He says, I declared it. I didn't hold it in. You know, why is that important? Here's why. Because when we simply manifest 
and we live a good, moral, wholesome life, if we're manifesting it, some people get confused that you're just moral unless you speak it and you teach it. You go, what does it mean? Jot this down. Your walk has to match your talk. If you live and manifest the name of Jesus and you speak it, it's a done deal. You're more like Jesus. That's what he did. He said, listen, I declared it. I declared it. I wasn't ashamed. I told people about Jesus. I lovingly told people. Listen, when we came to pray, I prayed. When we got together and I said, can I bless the food? I wasn't ashamed because I want people to know that not only did I live it, but that I preached it. I'm not preaching to you, my friends, but I want people to know. Here's the question. Here's the question. Remember we said this? The question was, if, if it was a crime to be a Christian, would there be enough evidence on how you lived and what you said to convict you? No doubt with Jesus, and I want to live like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. Let's close. Let's close our Bible study. Let's just recap real quick, guys. If you want to live a life like Jesus, guys, consider the following. You ready? Glorify God in everything. Glorify God in everything. Every decision, every outcome, everything, you glorifying God in everything. God, does this glorify you? Does this glorify you? Number two, finish the work that he has given to you. Finish your specific work. Run your race, run your mile, run your... Finish the work. Number three, manifest his name in your daily life. Manifest it. Live it. Live it out. You see, nowhere in this does it say live perfectly. Live, live it out. Manifest it. From when you get up in the morning to when you go to bed, live, live, live. Number four, speak life. Speak life into people's lives. Can I just say this to you? The world speaks enough death. We need to speak life. You see, the world is telling all of us and everyone around us, you're ugly, you're, you're dumb, you're stupid, you made bad choices, you're this, you're this, you're this. That's death. Speak life. Specific work, speak life. You're beautiful. God has a plan for you. You're special. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you're not. Speak life. Number five, pray for fellow believers. Pray. Pray. Guys, if we were all out in a foxhole together and, and bullets were coming over our heads, we're in it together. Please don't sacrifice your brother and sister. Hey, go check. Pray for them together. How about number six? Guys, live safe and secure in Jesus' hands. If you've given your life to Jesus and you know it, live safe and secure. Number number seven, give those in need God's word. But make sure, guys, it's not a band-aid. Don't just say, here's God's word when you know they're hungry. Give them God's word and give them some food. Give them God's word and give them some socks or a, or, or a jacket. 
Or how about just the gift of friendship? Number seven, number eight, number eight. Go. Go. Go out and tell people about Jesus. Number nine, declare your, declare his name to a darkened world. Declare his name. Church, listen to me. One last thing. Don't be surprised that God has called you to be light in a dark world. And don't be surprised when you shine the light and the dark is ugly. When you turn on a light in a very dark, dark space, there's some ugly stuff. It could be spiders, spider webs, cockroaches. There could be all kinds of ugly stuff. Make sure you declare his name to a darkened world. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and the truth in your word. Thank you this morning, God, that we can live like you. That's my plan. That's my purpose, God, to live like you. Help me to do the. I don't just want to. I don't. I don't just want to jot these down. I want to learn them. Help me to glorify you, to finish my work, to manifest, to speak life into people. Lord, it's a. It's a. It's a huge task, but through the power of your Holy Spirit, we could do it. Thank you that we can pray, with our eyes open, our eyes closed. Thank you we can pray with our hands lifted or, or folded, that you hear us, God. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the Shema and thank you for the Amidah. We love you. We worship you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.